Well, I don't know about great. Great's a strong word, but I'm, uh, I'm not dead. Welcome to the uh, the Corey Taylor interview. Uh, this is Ted with uh, Dread Central here with Abby, um, and we're doing this interview for Bad Candy, which is a uh, film that you not only uh, had a role in helping produce, but also you know had an acting role in. So uh, we're here to talk talk a bit about that. How are you doing today, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm stoked to be talking horror with some fellow geeks, man. It's it's. I, I mean, doing the horror conventions has really gotten me into doing that again. So it feels good to just rap about cool shit, you know? Yeah, I feel yeah. I mean, like, to me, honestly, the best interviews are ones where I can just, like, you can tell that the person, like, gives a shit about what they're doing. And, like, you know, it's pretty obvious from your body of work that you give a shit about horror. So a lot of our um, questions today are going to be based on that. We actually, like... Uh, the, the people at home can't see it, but I have the questions right now because every once in a while I try to be a professional. Generally, I just wing it, but I was like, all right, maybe I'll write them down. Start today. Oh, great. So I'm, I'm your, <laughs> your guinea pig for being responsive. Fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, funny. Yeah, who knew that you would be someone's guinea pig for being responsible, you know? <laughs> Anyways, um, Abby, uh, your, 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 your book here is having the first question, so why don't you kick it off? Yes, I'm so excited. Um, thank you for, for interviewing with us. Uh, it's, it's, it's a... It's a real big honor. So my first question for you in regards to Bad Candy, you know, you've had a lot of experience um, with your extravagant career, um, having like interviews and stuff. And part of that is being on radio shows. So your uh, character, Chili Billy, is there any particular like radio host or DJ that inspired you for that? Or was it more just something that you kind of put together yourself of something that you wanted to reflect? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, it's a little, it was a little of both, you know, like I, I'm not very, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I shudder to say method, you know, when it comes to like putting this stuff together, I tend to just play a version of myself doing that job. <laughs> so, um, but at the same time, I mean, the, the radio thing came very naturally because I uh, not only had a radio show for a while, but I've been over the years, I've been offered countless radio shows just because of my voice which just has that natural radio lilt that can you know you're tuning into wkmp it's gonna be a great yes. i've always just had a really good voice you know as as my friends used to say a face for radio if you will so I, uh, <laughs> i've always had a really great timber to it so being uh so playing chili billy in the movie was really natural because not only could I just kind of riff and, and throw different stuff out, you know, and uh, just ba basically pretend that it was a real radio show, but, you know, from experience and because some of my favorite shows that I listen to are very talk-based, um, mm -hmm. I, I just kind of drew from that, you know, like anything from, you know, obviously Stern to uh, Coast to Coast, which is a crazy show that, you know, really touches on everything. Hell yeah, Art Bell. So I've been listening. Yeah, so I've been, and I had a, I had honestly had the 
the pleasure of being able to be a host on coast to coast or a, a guest, excuse me, on coast to coast, um, way back when my paranormal book came out. So I got to be a part of that legacy, you know? So yeah, when it came to Chili Billy, it, it was, it was pretty easy to just kind of draw on experience and know how, uh, you know, like, you know, kind of kicking into like how people would be on the radio and, and then the back and forth between me and Zach was rad because, you know, I've actually had engineers who have been able to, you know, kind of rile up and fuck with, you know, and it was just, uh, yeah, it was just a good time. Yeah. I was, I was wondering if, cause like in the movie, you kind of give him some shit. So I was wondering if you ever like busted out laughing because oh. it was just, we <laughs> you were, had to do it we over and over again. busting each other's balls like the entire time we were filming. <laughs> First of all, he's one of the raddest dudes on the planet. And he's, it's Zach, you know, like it, it was so <laughs> cool to be able to just hang. He made, you know, I mean, I've done movies, but I'm not an actor, you know, like he <laughs> just makes it so easy to be relaxed with him. And we just kind of walked through stuff together and, and we're able to really, you know, build this great relationship, you know, and our dynamic was cool. And we started the day um, basically just kind of making stuff up. You know, there's a scene where we're kind of standing at the, the dry erase board, kind of going through what we we're going to talk about. And I think there was probably about 10 minutes of um, just us going back and forth improving and making up stuff that we were going to talk about and me erasing stuff and writing different stuff in then erasing that i would love to see that footage because it was so ridiculous the crew was having to bite lips because we were making them crack and once we said cut it was we all just fucking <laughs> lost our mind. It was just, so it was really great man it was really a lot of fun and then we took that that back and forth and we just kind of put it on on film man we had a lot of a lot of fun doing it oh that, yeah that's great to hear it definitely i feel personally it shows maybe that's just because you know I've, I've watched interviews with you before so i know kind of like your personality a little more than like the uh, the next person that wouldn't but it, right. you could just tell that like you were having fun with it and there was definitely like that off-camera chemistry that um really added to the role so it, it definitely it definitely showed Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt, man. Oh, it's okay. I was just—I was just gonna say I was just glad. I was just glad to not play a bad guy this time. Huge bag. So it was like I was, I was just glad to play somebody that was actually kind of likable, you know. <laughs> but but like it is that. actually that's where I'm more familiar with you from was from Fear Clinic than this. Oh, like, Bauer, the mighty so stash of Bauer. Yeah. That was so <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for everyone at home, there's a little pop up that just came up. I had to uh, uh, never never say I'm not fucking dedicated to my craft because I just upgraded to the pro version of Zoom so that the meeting wouldn't end early because we were doing a test call before this to make Ooh, everything. Look working. at you being so all big money bag. Big words too, dude. <laughs> <laughs> he's not just Mr. Dickhead. He's he's got vocabulary. <laughs> the honorable Mr. Dickhead. To be clear, in the pre-recording, he did say that we could call him at least Mr. Dickhead. So that all of you at home that didn't see the previous right. part, Abby is well, not randomly calling. Yeah. She's not <laughs> the boldest Whichever person on the planet. Yeah, awesome. just randomly <laughs> calling the, the talent a dickhead. Um, the massive Richard head over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Anyways, I actually, you know, I had a question that I, uh, this always actually really interests me whenever I see someone that's like kind of a multi, uh, uh, multi-discipline talent. You know, right. you, you, you've done the, the music, you've done a lot of different bands with a lot of different energies to them, you know? And, um, you know, the question that I really have is when you first started in your career, your artistic career, you know, was the theatrics always a part of it for you? Like, did you always want to do acting? And, you know, because especially with, with some of your bands, you know, the theatrics, the theatrics of the stage performance are a lot like acting, but more close to like a play, you know, you're, you're there to entertain a crowd, trying to pump them up. And then you go onto the stage and, you know, you're, put, you're putting on a similar character. So do you always right. want to be that kind of like a character actor or did that kind of come later in your life? No, that kind of kind of came later you know i mean honestly the theatrics were much more of an artistic expression than they were about drama you know or in theatric true theatricality like it wasn't we weren't playing characters this was much more about revealing a part of ourselves in the music that visually you can't really explain it's like if you go and listen to like heavy music that doesn't have a visual like that uh, it's almost like they would tell you that the person inside doesn't look anything like the person who's actually singing it. There's like a totally different face there. So with Slipknot, that's kind of what those masks represented was, you know, showing and revealing that side of ourselves that needed that aggression, that needed that, you know, that type of celebratory creativity, you know, or aggressive mm -hmm. creativity, really. So, yeah, man, I never thought that it would transfer to me doing acting or anything like that, you know? Um, and, I, you know, and, and obviously I'm not a trained actor or anything like that. And I, that's very obvious from, you know, my work, my body work. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd taken drama in high school. That was about as close as it got. And I, I guess I have a knack for, a, the, the only thing I can say is amplified personality. That's all I can really say is, is like, I just kind of pump myself my version of myself up and just, you know, put it up there. And I, in that way, I have that in common with, uh, you know, being on stage and, and entertaining because that, that version of yourself is so pumped up and so uh, massive is really the only word that you can say because you need your ego and your personality needs to fill that room. Right. When it comes to, you know, entertaining people. So it's basically the same type of approach when I do a movie is trying to not be a total dickhead, if we can drop that name again, but also Mr. Dickhead. find my place in the ensemble, you know? Yeah. I mean, but how did you get there? I mean, you, you were you born with that ability to come into a room and fill it with your personality or like, was there so. a point? Yeah. I, yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the, one of my, one of my earliest memories, one of my proudest memories, and this is actually the memory that, uh, that I have where I realized I had a gift for music was my cousin, Lisa, uh, Lisa Glick, formerly Lisa Glick. Now, now Lisa Darling, she, uh, she was the person who kind of, got me into listening to music and whatnot. She was older and she had a more legitimate taste in music. Whereas I was just kind of, I was young, so I was still top 40, you know, just whatever my mom subjected me to basically. And uh, so I was listening to music with her and I was, you know, kind of learning about, you know, stuff like punk rock and, and like early, early Def Leppard when they had more of like an ACDC vibe to them. Um, 
and she was playing the new at the time the new journey album which was escape you know and she was playing uh oh god separate ways right and i had seen it on tv on mtv because the video was on there so i just started singing along to it and i was pitch perfect and she stopped me and she was like are you singing along to this and i was like yeah and she she pulled me out into the living room with all of my aunts my uncles my grandmother like my all my family there my cousins and stuff and she put that lp on because it was vinyl at the time put the lp on she goes everybody need to, you need to listen to corey sing this song and she stuck me in a corner this 10 year old kid that suddenly terrified like uh what the hell is going on and she she put the needle down and i sang that song from top to bottom like pitch perfect no for no which was probably the only time i could hit those steve perry notes to be honest but, <laughs> yeah. and when i was done my all, my whole family just cheered and clapped and like really really got into it you know so yeah. it was the first time that as a kid i realized that i had a gift for something and it's all by ear i've had no real music training i i can listen to a note and tell you what it is i'm I just have a gift for picking things up and I'm all self-taught when it comes to instruments and whatnot. Like taught myself how to play guitar, bass, drums, piano, everything. So it's it's just been something that's been with me my whole life, you know? Um, I didn't realize I wanted to entertain until I realized that I could entertain. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's always cool to be able to find a way to like make a career out of your passion and you've definitely done that to, you know, yeah. to a pretty big extent. Yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, and I'm very lucky, you know, because some people don't, they don't get to, to make that jump, you know, so I also don't take it for granted, which is one of the reasons why I try to do as many projects as I can, you know, because you just, you don't know how long this is going to stick around, man, you know, so take advantage of the moment and really try to do as many different passions as you can. Yeah, that actually leads really well into the next question, Abby, that you have uh, written here. Yeah. So speaking of all your different, different arms and different places, uh, before I say this though, do you still wish you had those high vocals? <laughs> no, man, I'm actually pretty good with, with the range that I have. I actually have a very hot, like broad range. Um, mm -hmm. if, I, if it was any higher, I probably lo would lose a lot of the low. And mm -hmm. I like, I like songs that are in a lower register because they have a, a more defined sense of melancholy, especially when you're singing mm -hmm. something like a like a sad ballad, man. Something that mm -hmm. really you want to, you know. Or if I'm doing creepy shit like with Slipknot, you know, mm -hmm. things like like the beautiful thing is like uh, the verses in Vermilion, where it really has that lower, yes, that kind yes. of haunting and yet intimidating vibe. So no, I, I don't think I would want my range higher than it is I, I it's once and, and not to be crude or anything once my balls dropped i became a very <laughs> a very good singer let's put it that way i guess i asked that question because i'm still hoping for a, a reboot a reboot of the 1994 stone sour demo oh my <laughs> god I, you know what? I don't even think i could hit those notes now like i was so <laughs> young i think i was 20 i it was right before i was 20 or 21, excuse me. So I still had a little bit of that youthful exuberance kind of hanging on me. And there's some of those notes that I can't even think about those notes. Or I get a headache, you know, like it's that. 
I know. It's so good, though. It's so good. I listen, you know what? I listen I've to it pretty often. Toyed, <laughs> I've actually toyed with uh, re-recording a couple of those songs just because I love, like, some of the songs from the demo would probably maybe maybe sometimes or yes, like some of the stuff, yes. something like that. I've, I've thought about it because um, I basically wrote all that stuff. So maybe, maybe we'll, we'll have to see, you know, I've definitely thought about it. So I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to make any promises because trust me, if I tried to hit some of those notes, I'd probably burst a vessel in my eye <laughs> walking around look, looking like I had pink eye basically. Yeah. That, that high note, like towards the end of, I can't believe like, it's wow if, if you tried that again <laughs> i could only i could only nail it live like every other time i we played it live I, i'd have to come in a little underneath it because it was such a, <laughs> like super high and i just like, <laughs> like <laughs> come out dazed and confused oh i brown out like a, i mean yeah once again to gross you out my underwear would look like a bingo dot let's put it that way uh <laughs> no good I, it's something prolapsed and I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Yes. Okay. Well, I'll definitely get back to the movie, but it's just <laughs> such, such a banger. Seriously. It's one of my favorites. Well, um, thank you. I appreciate it. You're probably one of the first people I've ever heard say that. So I really appreciate that. Uh, really? It's so yeah. good. <laughs> um, so, you know, you've been in like fear clinic and you were featured in Sharknado and stuff like that. Uh, so why bad candy? What made, what drew you to bad candy in general? Uh, honestly, uh, they just, they just hit me up and, you know, and asked me and I, I liked the script. I liked the role. Um, I thought it was something that I wouldn't have to be too ostentatious about or really kind of, mm -hmm. you know, for me, because of my schedule, sometimes I'm not allowed to be able to come in and really flesh something out and spend mm -hmm. weeks at a time, you know, uh, shooting a movie. So, you know, with, with bad candy, it was perfect. It was a two day shoot. I mean, I, I did everything. We did everything we were doing in two days, basically, and just really knocked wow. it out. And it was, it was perfect. You know, we were able to explore everything that we wanted to do and we're kind of the anchor anyway. So it's like, everything kind of comes back to us which means we're in one location, we're doing our thing, we can uh, kind of manipulate the things around us, but we don't have to, you know, we're not running off to different locations and whatnot. So it was perfect, you know, uh, something like Bad Candy, where it worked with my schedule, and it was interesting enough that I wanted to do it. Um, it, it just it just made sense. You know, I've, there, there have actually been many times where I've been offered a role, and I just haven't, had the time to really do it, you know, like I, uh, it, it's, and, and it's bummed me out. You know, it's, and it, it's made me wonder if maybe when, if I have some like extrapolated time off, if I could go in and do something, you know, really work a role from start to finish and be able to create mm. personality around that. But at the same time, because it's not my main passion, it's not something that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of chasing right now. Like, I mean, I've written a movie, which I'm sure we'll talk about, um, and I'm hoping to be able to be a part of that, but it's one of those things where I'll probably only kind of come in and, and do a bit part for it and come back out and leave it to the, you know, the professionals, you know, but I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I, something like Bad Candy was perfect because it was just, you know, it was a small amount of time. It was a lot of fun and they didn't they didn't need me to carry the movie you know and that's something i don't i wouldn't wish on anybody <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Well, this leads well into like the next question, because, you know, you've done a lot of things, you know, with the House of Golden Bones, with the comics and stuff, and you, yeah. you've had like a handful of, of books that you've written as well. So it's kind of like a, what haven't you done or what can't you do kind of thing? But is there anything that you haven't done that you still want to do? Well, it's actually, I mean, it's kind of touching back on what we were just talking about. You know, my one thing that I've always wanted to do is create a movie, write it, and then see it from start to finish, from soup to nuts. So basically from the ink on the paper to the step and repeat at you know the big world premiere like that's been something that i've wanted to do for a very long time um that i've written i've written a lot of scripts over over the years and whatnot and as i've, as I've gotten better at it i've like slowly but surely started to show them to people instead of just been like oh this is garbage i'm not going to show anyone but i'm actually just about to break ground on my first real script, um, the first real story anyway, um, I'm hoping to shoot next year. It's called Zombie versus Ninja. And is exactly what you what I just said. It is that. And um, it's gonna be kind of a gonzo horror with hints of comedy, but some real gore, some like crazy effects, um, hopefully all practical. And uh, We've got a director, we've got the effects, we've got the uh, finances. Um, now we just need to, uh, we've we've honed down a location. Now we just need to cast it and get it ready to go. And then I'm going to score it with uh, with Roy Mayorga from Stone Sour. And uh, oh. yeah, he's so brilliant. Like his, his scoring stuff, the soundtrack stuff that he does is so good that I knew that like I would want him to be the guy that to, to do it with. So, oh, so yeah, so I'm really, really stoked, man. I, uh, I'm hoping to, uh, to really get that started, uh, next year. Obviously the pandemic put a, a hold on stuff, but it also allowed us time to really flesh things out. And my director, um, who I'd love to tell you, I'll tell you once what the, the everything goes off, but I'll, I'll, yeah, he, he gotcha. did a pass, he did a pass on the, on the script and we were able to really put something together rad and it's going to be he took it in directions that I, I didn't even realize man so i'm i'm really really stoked to uh to get this out for people to see oh that's so exciting wow oh so cool yeah no that is super cool i mean that's that's super awesome to hear i would love to see the the gore effects in zombie versus ninja yes. i can like right. imagine because like the last ninja movie that i saw that was like really good was like Ninja Assassin back in 2004, right. starring Rain or something like that. I, right. I think it was maybe 2008, trying to remember when I saw it, but that's yeah, like- Yeah, it was, it was good, but there was a lot of CG. Yes. You know? And mm -hmm. that kind of took it away from me. That was honestly one of the things that I loved about the Kill Bill movies. Right. Was that it was all, all of that was so practical. So it's almost like you take the, the sword fights from, from the Kill Bill movies, and then combine it with the horror from from *Dust Till Dawn*. That that's what I'm hoping to put yeah. together. Yeah, crazy, yeah. fucking insane, chaotic movie. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. yeah. I love *From Dust Till Dawn*. Probably one of the. That's best one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. That's a, like serious to this day, and I saw it four times in the theater, man. Like yeah. first came out, and I was just 
Yeah. I mean, and you, and you look at the first half of the movie, which, you know, is a lot of the Quentin Tarantino influence right. in the second half, which is like pure Robert Rodriguez. Absolutely. And you get this, this tonal swap that's just like, if you were to show that to a producer, right? Like a Hollywood producer right. would be like, what the fuck is this movie? And it comes right. out and it's fucking golden. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's, that's you know, a lot of people had a problem with that at first, mm -hmm. but it, it oh, yeah. holds up. to this day, it holds up. I showed it to my son because I've been slowly but surely like walking him through a lot of my like cold classic favorites and shit. And I sat him down. I was like, I'm about to expose you to one of the greatest horror movies ever made. Yeah. And he was just, like just blown away the entire time, which was so rad. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, like so many of those older uh, like horror movies that like are classics today, like were either savaged by critics where they came out, or like if you could imagine putting the script in front of a producer and they'd be like, "What the fuck is this?" Like, right. like films like The Thing, savaged when it came out. Predator, like, yeah, it was so that was good. Like one of the greatest horror movies ever made. Like it you're is. just like, it, but here's the thing, like. Sometimes, I mean, it's to me, it reminds me of a lot of the uh, painters who are not appreciated until and, and, and until like, like they're they're only appreciated posthumously, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like their 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 art and their paintings are only really appreciated once they're gone, you know? And that's kind of the way, honestly, a lot of Carpenter's movies are. I mean, think about it. I was it. just going to say that. Yeah. The Thing tanked. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China tanked. Prince of Darkness tanked. Like, I, and th those are amazing movies. Like, I mean, what especially are you like talking about all three of those you just mentioned now are considered to be like like pinnacle classics yeah. of of the genre. Not Big Trouble in Little China is more of a comedy, but like in that in that era, like in that in that zone, it's like. It's right. so fucking masterful, you yeah, know, absolutely. and yeah, and it's like, I, I, you know, that's, it's so funny because it leads perfectly to my next question, which was, you know, uh, like, uh, you're, you're one of the producers on, you know, In Search of Darkness, you know, obviously right. you have a, a huge affinity for this, this genre, and the next question was, you know, what does horror mean to you, and we we're kind of already getting into that by this conversation, so, you know, I, I'm curious, you know, what do these old films like mean to you? How has it inspired you, you know? Oh man, you know, I mean, it, it's weird. It's, a, it's, it's, it's such a, no, I don't want to say complicated question, but it's multi-layered. It's definitely multifaceted because for me, when I was growing up, watching movies and definitely watching horror was an escape for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't have the best childhood. I didn't have the best upraising. I didn't have the best anything really. Um, and I mean, the, the only, I didn't have the most stable childhood. So for me, the only thing that was really stable in my life was music and movies. Um, and this was at a time when I, I had no supervision. And if I did have supervision, it was violent. You know, so I spent a lot of time by myself and I tried to spend as much time by myself as I could. So I would steal money, take in bottles and cans and whatnot, save up money and rent movies and rent movies and just check out and just stay away from people and just watch movies by myself, you know, and those worlds were so big, you know, because not only was the supernatural possible, but magic was possible. Heroes were possible. Good 
was possible. Yes, evil was possible, but good in massive doses were, were, were possible. And it was something that I yearned to be in. It was a world where, you know, bravery, you could fight evil and actually win, you know, because my reality was so dark, you know? I wanted... I loved the idea that there was a bigger world out there. I loved the, the idea that there were bigger possibilities than what was presented for me, you know? So horror has always been, a, in a strange way, a safe place for me. It's you know, always been, yeah. I totally relate to that. You know, when I was a kid, I was, uh, my, my, my parents are great. I don't want to pretend like I had, like, you know, they weren't, they weren't wonderful, but I was really sick growing up. And um, so like death was a part of my life at a very early age. Like I had a, an understanding of my own mortality as young as like five. Right. And, um, you know, and you'd think that that would make you kind of shy away from that kind of stuff. But to me, like, I always felt really isolated from other kids my age because I didn't feel like they understood what I was going through, you know? And my parents certainly didn't understand, you know, they, they were loving and caring. But, you know, when I got into horror, it was like, I finally found a place where I wasn't weird, you know what I mean? Right, Where that right. like, that kind of morose, morbid sense of, I got a very gallows sense of humor, you know? And <laughs> like to the point where even other horror people are like, damn, that's dark. Um, <laughs> and and so like, you know, but horror has always been a safe space for me. Like I just watched Malignant, the new James Wan film. Don't tell me anything because I haven't seen it yet. I'm not, I haven't seen it yet either. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of gore in it, like real, like 80s style gore. No, yeah, I, I heard that there was like a Fulci vibe to it. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's oh. like a, it's like Basket Case or one of those old practical effects films where there's just like blood and sh yeah, it's great. And the no, thing I is, is that modern a lot, and I feel the same way about Malignant that I feel like people are saying about the thing, which is like there's a lot of people that hate it. But horror fans, in my opinion, it's like, it's fucking great. Right. And, you know, I was watching it and I was like busting up laughing and the people I was watching it with were like, this is really gross. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, duh. <laughs> yeah. So it's so, so great to hear that because like, you know, I feel like horror, you know, you can have the, that outward appearance of uh, being gnarly and things like that. And people think right. it means bad things. But like, really, what you're doing is you're finding a space where you don't feel so different. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why it's that's why I create horror. Um, by the way, if you're ever if you're ever looking to expand your horizons into voice acting in a video game, we do make video games. So if you ever do. Yes. Okay. Oh, all right. Yes. Let's we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. I'm, I'm all the way down for that stuff. Abby yes. over here is a, is a video yes. game creator herself too. Uh, she's oh, really, really talented. Okay. Right on. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Yes, um, that would be so cool. Yeah. If, if I do it though, I insist on a free copy that my wife can play because you can have she's the gamer two. in the house. So you can yes. have one for one for, one for oh, her okay. and one for I'm your kid too. All right. <laughs> if you have any cool friends, like you have to verify that they're cool though. Like we don't want to give them to anyone that's lame. <laughs> uh well, you know. No, I don't know. Cool. <laughs> no, yeah, they're all lame. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I uh anyways, no, it's just really cool to hear that because I feel that you know, uh, horror for a lot of people in the industry, especially, you know, it ha has been a source of comfort where a lot of people, I always hate answering the question, why do you like horror? Don't you get scared? I'm like, yeah, that's where I feel good. Wait, you know? Yeah. I mean, what would you rather be? Would you rather be scared in a moment from a movie that's so well put together or scared your whole life and driven by stress and anxiety and kept in a place where safety is not a thing. Like watching horror is about touching that stone. 
It's not about living on that stone. And that's what people don't understand. But it's the same way with metal music. Yeah. The, the, the thing that I've noticed the most is that most people who don't like horror have a very limited discography. This is the only right. nice thing I can say. Yeah. You know, like they're very vanilla when it comes to their entertainment. And they're very vanilla when it comes to their music, you know. Yeah. So horror to me, it's a badge of honor. Being yeah. a metal fan is a badge of honor. Being a punk fan is a badge of honor. Like I, you know, I love the fact that the movies I make, the music I make, and the things that I write are on the fringe. Like I don't want to be fucking mainstream because that would just suck. Yeah. I mean, think yeah. how boring you have to be to be fucking mainstream, man. Like I would rather eat my fucking own shit in front of my kids than do that. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> Yeah, I mean, actually the reason I brought up the video games thing wasn't just entirely to uh to, to pitch, but uh to say that like, you know, I write the scripts for them and it's like I have to tap into something deep in order to make a good horror right. script. You know, like it's not just let's put all the blood that we can on screen. It's like let's tap into something that like is is that visceral that real raw right. emotion right right and um i think that that is that is something that you know you could i can write i you, you can write a script for you know uh must love dogs too you know and it's like they meet and then they kiss and then they have the will they and they won't they and it's like I, you know i can do it in my sleep but like you know tapping into that real dark raw emotion right. if when you're writing that you should feel spent at the end you know what i mean Right. And and I, I love that feeling, that feeling that I, I I got to somewhere that makes even me uncomfortable and to be able to live in that, you know, and and, you know, that's that's what horror means to to, to me. So it's I don't want to make this. I mean, this isn't an interview about. No, just, no, you know, I totally I absolutely 100 percent agree, man. And it, but that's the I mean, honestly, that's the way it should be with everything. Right. When yeah. you're when you're creating something, you should be so spent by the time you're done, that there's nothing, there's no room left for anything else for a while. You know what I'm saying? And maybe that's why our shit is so creative and big and mind and mm -hmm. world building is because yeah. it is like that, you know? So it's, you know, it, if everybody created like that, nothing would be special. Yeah, mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that actually actually perfectly leads into the next question we have written down here. Abby, do you want to? You, you wanna have said that so many times. I feel like that's a drinking game at this point. It's like, <laughs> like yeah, we're taking shots. To this oh, shot! Here we go. <laughs> I, I, I just I only say it for my own ego because I, I ordered the questions and I was like, this is gonna be perfect. So now I'm saying it he's like, like he's like everyone must know that Ted compiled an organized list because he's no. not the most organized fella. <laughs> no, no, no. I will say this. A lot of times interviews are shit. And I don't like, oh, I'm not, not going to say- You don't have to fucking explain to me, man. I, I get it. <laughs> Trust me. Oh God. One of my favorite interviews. Oh, I, I probably shouldn't say it. I had a really, really good interview at a couple comic cons and some really bad ones that are really awkward. So whenever anyone goes well, I'm like, yeah, this is going well. I'm just feeling it, man. Like, I'm not trying to like self-aggrandize a little bit, but like, I'm just like, yeah, this is going well, you know? So fair enough, uh, fair enough. Hey, you know what? Questions are uh, you know what? Judges? Okay, we'll allow it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Go ahead. On a lighter note, though, uh, in getting away from the horror, just for a second, what is something you're a fan of that most people wouldn't expect that you're a fan of? Oh my God. At this point, I don't, fuck, I have no idea. I mean, I've been very, 
open about my fandoms, you know? Like, I mean, obviously I've talked comics, I've talked action figures, I've talked horror, I've talked well, movies in general, basically. I mean, people know that I'm a massive Marvel fan. Uh, I made, I, I used to be a, a massive Star Wars fan, but I've dialed that back a little bit because that fan base is so fucking toxic. True. Uh, I, uh, I guess maybe the only thing I really haven't fucking talked about is I'm a big fan of comedy, of comedians, of stand-up comedy. Let's put it that mm -hmm. way. I've been listening to stand-up since I was very, very young. My grandmother, um, and this was before he did time, my grandmother uh, raised me basically on old, old Bill Cosby albums. So I could, mm -hmm. I had all of those albums memorized from the time I was about five until I was about eight. Um, and I'm talking about like his first seven albums. Like I could quote, I could quote them to you now. Um, but that led me to Richard Pryor, obviously, George Carlin, uh, a little bit of Lenny Bruce. Um, and then that kind of exploded into the 80s wave of comedy, like Sam Kinison, Bill Hicks, uh, even like more niche stuff like Stephen Wright. Like, so I've just, I love, and that, that hasn't gone away. That's probably been the one consistent thing through my life that I've always loved is, is stand-up comedy. So Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle, uh, Tom Segura, mm. Tom Papa, like uh, John Mulaney. Like, I mean, I just, I, I, there's so many that I'm such a fan of that it'd be hard to list right now. But I, uh, to this day, anybody who can make me laugh, I'm instantly a fan of because <laughs> the older you get, and you'll find this, and actually I'm, I'm paraphrasing from John Cleese, the older you get, the less you laugh because you hit, you reach a point where you feel like you've heard everything. You know what I'm saying? So when I get a mm -hmm. good laugh, like a real good laugh, I cherish it. And to me, there's nothing better on earth than a really good fucking laugh because it can immediately lighten any mood and really pull you out, especially somebody who deals with depression the way I do. Yeah. It can really help in mm. so many different ways, man. So that's could be the only thing that I can really think of um, off the top of my head. But yeah, I'm a voracious uh, devourer of uh, stand-up comedy. You know, I think that it actually kind of ties back into that what we're talking about with horror is that like good comedy hits at something core. You know, it's the things that are, are usually left unsaid. You know, the things yeah. that polite society would like to discard that you hit in horror, you hit in comedy in equal measures, which is why I've right. always said that, you know, for me, like a good horror movie always has a comedic element and a good comedy always right. has that element of the darkness. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Because yeah. you just never, because I mean, honestly, and comedians will tell you that. 99% of the stuff that you hear is probably their lightest stuff because when it's just them one-on-one, -on -one, their senses of humor are brutal, dude. And I have comedians who are friends of mine and that is absolutely true. Like it can, like you just sit up and you're just like, oh fuck, dude, that was dark. It's brutal. So yeah, yeah. so it's really, you have to have, I, with with comedy, you have to have a little bit of anger. You have to have a little darkness. And then with, with horror, you have to have that ability to poke fun at it mm -hmm. because that's the only way it works. There's only, you have to realize that it's like you're creating something ostensibly that shouldn't be 
real. So there has to be that hint of, yeah. you know, mm. and that's why they call the effects gags. I think is because if you call it, you know, if you call it anything else, that's taking it too fucking seriously. Yeah. Mm. No, that's definitely well, true. And, uh, speaking of comedy, uh, you know, I know you've explored like different varieties of topics, like other than horror, like in your books, especially right. like you did like seventy seven deadly sins and make me hate you and things like that, which like go all over the place. But I. Uh, is there is there any dream in the future to do roles in movies other than like horror movies? That's a good question. Uh, I mean, horror is definitely in my comfort zone. Let's put it that way. Mm. I, uh, um, I don't know. I maybe if I were ever asked, I'd think about it because I mean it'd be interesting. You know, it'd definitely be interesting to play somebody outside of that world in the real world, you know, where where something fantastic doesn't happen, you know. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I, I love, and maybe it's because I'm a, in Slipknot and I'm so used to things just being bigger than life. You know, I, I think I mm -hmm. like the fact of, of being in movies that are either strictly horror or strictly, you know, kind of action-y or whatever. It's, mm -hmm. it's about, you know, when you go into a role like that, you're immediately embracing the fact that in that world, in that movie and in that world, the possibilities are endless. So to me, that's more exciting than playing something like a dramatic role in the real world. It's like, fuck, man, real life is dramatic enough. I don't need to be in a, you know, Lars von Trier or some shit like that. I'm fucking fine. So no romance movies no. then from you. <laughs> no romance. Oh, okay. Fuck no. First of all, first of all, no. I, I don't think I could ever be a romantic lead or anything like that. Second, my wife would probably gut me. She'd probably because I got offered, I got offered a horror musical, and uh, it, there was a lot of romantic to it. And uh, I was reading it out. I was like, oh, there's no fucking way. And I told my wife about it and she just went. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's not gonna fucking happen. I was like, listen, I'm not gonna do it. It's fine. Don't worry, it's all good. Yeah, so no, I'm not looking to, to fake kiss or lock lips or fucking do any nudes, fuck that. <laughs> Abby isn't reading the, the full question because the, the impetus for the question was, do you want to do your tragic love ballad duet with Sheryl Crow? Purposely, like Rock purposely overstepped it. <laughs> she didn't know that was no, Kid Rock. No one ever knows that's fucking Kid Rock and put your picture away. I, I like, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. I always thought it was just Sheryl Crow and then like whatever All some bum dude she found. <laughs> All you need to know is that it is five minutes of the most painful fucking bullshit song you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> Ted likes it. He, he's I, totally I'm a, I'm into a recovered it. addict, so I have a little bit of a different relationship with that song. Well, so am I, but... <laughs> I, I've been in a hotel Listen room feeling sorry for myself. Listen to me. As an addict, I can assure you there are better fucking songs than that motherfucker. Yeah, well, there's uh, one of the 400 channels by the choking, uh, the choking hazards. I like that one too. That's, uh, That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, yeah, okay. We, we'll get, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, there's some ballads I like. Tennessee whiskey, I think, is good, but that's not really how recovery Whiskey's okay. Um, God, one of my favorites. What, one of my all-time favorite ballads, and, and you might laugh at me, is actually a song that is very ambiguous, so it can relate to a bunch of different uh, 
themes, which is In a Darkened Room by Skid Row. I don't know if you've oh, ever heard mm-hmm. it. It's off, of, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. it's off of Slave to the Grind and is probably, to me, almost the perfect song because it's so, it's very guitar heavy, um, but Sebastian singing on it is so emotional. And then by the end of it, you're just like, fucking fully committed and it was one of the songs that actually showed me that you could write a ballad that doesn't have to be about love yeah you know just Mm -hmm. be a slow song which is essentially what bother was is which is Mm -hmm. just a slow song that has nothing to do with romantic sentiment it has to do with self-reflection when you're dealing with a, a very depressive state and trying to pull yourself out of it but sometimes you can't find the top of the well yeah. You understand vernacular, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. No, I mean, that's, I, I definitely, you know, speaking, you know, from an act to another, it's like that those kinds of, I always find those songs that are about, you know, oh, I'm so, like, you know what pisses me off? When I watch a movie like Altered, or a show like Altered Carbon and they drink a bunch of whiskey and they're like, now let's go do some action. I'm like, where's the drinking a bunch of whiskey and then passing out and forgetting to like, pick, right. like do something important, you know, because that's my yeah. experience. Or uh, there's a song. Or called- yeah, you drink a shit ton of whiskey, you giggle for about, you know, an hour, and then you get super super sad. Yeah. You just you Irish goodbye everybody, and then you wake up in a forest about seven miles away. Yeah. That's what that's what I used to do. Yeah. There's a song oh. called uh, "The Recap" by the Dead South, which is a, a really good song about. I know the Dead South. Absolutely, they're fucking amazing. Yeah, the song "Recap" about you know they get into a bar fight, and then it's actually what it's actually about though is that how they're sick of the cycle. And they're sick of right. the recap of the night before and they just want to end it. Right. Like, and that, yeah. that kind of song to me is like, that really speaks to me because when I got, got sober, it wasn't because of any of the trite reasons you see in movies, like the girl telling me that she's going to leave. And I realized I love her so much. It was because I felt like shit all the time. And I hated myself. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. I think that that message that like, you know, I, 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 I hate the Hollywood depiction of it. It's just, I don't want to get into a rant about that because no, it just, it just it. matters a lot to me, you know? I absolutely agree because I don't, God, I, I can't think of one movie who's actually, that's actually correctly camp captured the real experience of being an addict and finally hitting rock bottom and going, you know, this is. Oh yeah. This. Cause oh, the thing, man. the thing about rock bottom, isn't that, you know, it's not the car accident. It's not your wife leaving. It's not, your, your kid not talking to you. If any of that shit was rock bottom, people would right. stop doing drugs a long to fucking time ago. Yeah, it it's, rock bottom it's is a daily, it's a daily right. scooping of the bottom that you think your life is a spoonful at a mm. time until you've, you've dug yourself a hole so deep. You never even thought you could get there. You know what I mean? Right. And now, and a lot of people stay in that life because they feel like it's too daunting to to pull themselves out of, which means they go even further in the fucking toilet. Oh, to the yeah. Point where you literally can feel the earth's crust against your shoulder blades and you're like, eh, it's time to start <sighs> figuring this out. You know, man. it's, it's, sounds... I've, I've been there twice in my life and it was like probably the hardest things I ever did, but. It sounds fucking stupid and sad to say now for me, but it was like when I quit drinking, I felt like I was losing my best friend, someone that was always there, but it's also like was losing my worst enemy. But I had this worldview where they were the same person to me. You know what I mean? Right. right. Like I didn't know how to love myself. Yeah. Well, not only that, but you have to relearn your whole life, like hanging out with people, 
what you do for fun, what you can and can't do when you're out with people, like Mm -hmm. what you can and can't accept from people. Like so much changes when you stop either do it's, it's easier when you, you quit doing drugs. I did that when I was a teenager, but when you quit drinking, I mean, yeah. fuck, our culture is just permeated by it. So yeah, it's so socially acceptable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's and yet, and I think it's because of that that it's ultimately three times as destructive. Is because it's mm. so available and it's everywhere, and it's the for some reason that stigma just doesn't stick to it. People, you know, you see it in every commercial on television. It's like, and to be fair. Not everyone is wired as fucked up as I am. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's some Mm -hmm. people who can absolutely just have two drinks and that's it. You know, my wife is one of them. And I just every time she every time she goes, you know, I'm done. And I just I just stand up and I'm just like, how do you do it? What? (laughs) Yes. Where where do you get that? You know, like for me, it's I don't stop until the bar closes. You know? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like, I've had people ask me like, have you ever tried just having one or two? And I'm like, I don't want one or two. Yeah. I want yeah. 12 I and want all pass out, you know, like, <laughs> I, it, and, and that's the thing yeah. about self-honesty that they always talk about with AA and shit is like, you got to have that internal integral self-honesty. That's me being self-honest is I right. don't want two drinks. I want 50 yeah. and I want to pass out. Like that's what right. I want. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Anyways, I, gosh, you know, I, I, it's always funny when Ted, you know, thanks for sharing. Gets... We appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, my name is Ted. You know, thanks, Ted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyways, yeah, no, I just, I thank you so much for opening up about that. It's, it's really important to me to. to oh, it's all good. Yeah, no, trust like... me. That's one of those things that, when we talk about stigmas, you know, I, the reason I open up about it is because there's such a stigma. People for so long were so divided on whether or not they should talk about things like that. And the whole reason that you talk about it is to take that stigma off and make it feel like you're not losing your mind or you're not isolated and that you're, you you know, you're not the only one, you know, but it's the same way with it. I do a lot of talking about my, uh, my issues with mental health and speaking therapy and trying to, you know, work my way through the things that I've, you know, been through when I was, you know, not only younger, but just, you know, later in life. And that again, such a stigma on it, because, you know, men feel like they can't, you know, it's a, it's a problem I have, I'll handle it myself, because I'm a man. And it's like, guess what, mm-hmm. sometimes men need help. If you don't know how to fix your car, what do you do? You go to a mechanic, if you don't know how to fix the things that are going on in your head, you go to someone who can help you do that. And it may not be the first person you go to, but you at least have started the process. And that's one of those things that I don't think is said enough, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually, it. no, that's actually, you know, whenever I talk to uh, people about, you know, AA stuff, whenever I have sponsees or something like that, I always say, you know, it's so funny because if you're, if you had a ham radio and you needed to repair the ham radio and you didn't right. know how, what would you do? You'd go on YouTube, you'd look it up. You wouldn't say, I got this, you know? But when it comes to that problem, some for some reason, you know, we're like, no, you know, I, I got this. And, right. you know, it, it's like, it's the same thing. You're, you're doing the same thing. You're just, you're, you're trying to fix a ham radio, but you're fixing the ham radio in your brain or your heart, your right. soul, whatever you want to call it, you know? Exactly. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's crazy. And um, this actually does 
fit perfectly into, into the, the next, next question. question. God damn it, Ted. <laughs> Go no, on, I mean, Ted. You'll, you'll agree. It's, it's a slightly different method of getting there, but, you know. Oh, I can't, I can't wait to hear this now. Well, you know, <laughs> this is actually, you know, I, I did, this is actually a little bit more of a, of a thoughtful, kind of more serious question, which is, you've been doing this for a while. You know, you have the music yeah. and stuff. Not You're not 70. I think you're pushing 50, right? Yeah, I'll be 48 this year. Oh, well, congratulations on making it so far. <laughs> I feel the same way. Yeah. I'm like, 30, I'm 31. I didn't think I'd make it past 28. It's the green beans. But, uh, it is. It's the green beans. The green beans. I got to start eating them like now. I had asparagus last night. I hope that helps. But, uh, you know, but you're, you're kind of at this point that's like you started music when you were in your early 20s. And no one fucking knows. We all dream. You know, I'm a, I, I write stories for video games. And I right. dream right. that 20 years from now, some kid's going to pick up a game that I wrote 20 years ago, and it'll say something to them. Right. And you're now at the point where you can see that happening. I mean, Abby here is 24, right? You just turned 24? Yeah, I just turned 24. <laughs> and she's a huge fucking fan Listen to this. She brought up uh, your 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 the stone the stone sour. You know, yeah, the ninety four. Damn, I was like, holy shit! I don't think she was alive okay. when that came out. No, she like, wasn't. no I was born in ninety seven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you're you're getting to see now the effect that your work has had on another generation in real time. Did you, first off, when you first started, did you ever expect that? And secondly, what's that like now? Like, what's it like to see people and be like, oh shit, I've influenced this person that wasn't even alive when I started. Right. It's, I mean, it's, it's a trip to be honest. You know, I, first of all, I love it. Um, second of all, I did not expect it. Let's put it that way. I mean, we didn't expect any of this, to be honest, we didn't expect any of this success. We thought we would just be a road band. You know, mm -hmm. we didn't expect to become slipknot, you know, our <laughs> biggest goal, honestly, was to just become a band that could release an album and tour successfully and just be a good, we didn't dream of number ones. We didn't dream of, you know, fucking massive hits. We, we just wanted to be a career band, you know, like a, a culture band basically. So you can imagine what our thought process was when everything just fucking exploded for us. And we weren't, we were young, we weren't really prepared for it. So the, it's, everything's kind of come with, highs and lows and everything in between. But the cool thing that we're seeing now is we're seeing all of these artists from different genres, from different artistic, you know, bents, quoting us as influences, you know, which yeah. is crazy, you know? So, I mean, whether it's hip hop or metal or, uh, I mean, Christ, Ed Sheeran fucking quoted us as being like a massive like influence. like. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's fucking crazy, man. I was just like, all right. I mean, you know, <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's it's cool, you know. And the great thing is, is that it doesn't musically or artistically or spiritually have to match Slipknot. It is mm -hmm. the will to do it, the heart, the soul, the spirit. You know, the 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 panache to do it man to just get out and do it whether you're going to be successful or not you know that to me i think is the biggest factor because we have influenced so many people from so many different walks of life you know i think just the 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 bravery to do it is is i think the biggest thing that we've passed on um yeah. and that to me i mean because think about it i mean that's kind of bravery 
courage was our whole career courage in the balls to do it basically just uh you know nine people from the middle of nowhere iowa mm -hmm. in masks and coveralls playing fucking insane metal with some of the craziest artwork you've ever seen on paper it doesn't work you know like mm -hmm. on paper you're just like yeah it's not exactly a recipe for success you know like <laughs> This is a football team. That's not how the coach would have drawn it up, you know, yeah, but yeah, yeah. for some reason we threaded that needle and we were able to touch on something that resonated and continues to resonate. And I don't know why, and I, don't, I hope I never figure it out because that's <laughs> part of the beauty of it. I, I just, I just want us to be, to always be able to inspire people, whether I was 25 or whether I'm going to be 50. Yeah. I just, I love the fact that mm. we're, constantly pushing the boundaries and encouraging other people to do it as well you know yeah i can imagine at some point a producer was like well you got to lose the masks because if people can't see your face that was one of the first things they told us and we told them to go fuck wow. themselves yeah, uh, totally <laughs> yeah they were like well would you ever do it without the masks and i was like uh no so you'll probably do it without us yeah. <laughs> well, see, it's like it's like that confidence, though, that like you can go that you can like go out on stage and make an album and just completely reflect this seemingly ugly like thing. And for me, like growing up, like I didn't have a lot of confidence or anything. And like I started listening to Slipknot when I was in like fifth or sixth grade. And then I, I grew up with that. And it was just it was crazy for me. And one of the things, you know, uh, jump the fuck up with Max Cavalier and Soulfly. Oh, yeah, like yeah, one yeah. of the things when I'm feeling like really like not confident or like somebody's kind of walking on me, I just like hear in my head, are you going to sit down like a bitch? Or are you going to jump the fuck up? And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm going to jump the fuck up actually. So like, <laughs> it's it. just cool. It's like the confidence um, to just be like, like it's okay to like not be okay. And it's right. okay to be different. And, you know, especially growing up, it's like, teenagers are terrible to one another so like it was like one of the things that that got me through that and it still gets me through it because you know that's just life you're gonna go through through this shit where where people are just gonna dookie on you for for just being you so it's just it's one of those things where you just take it and you walk out there and you just fucking own it and you don't sit down like a bench you, you know you jump the fuck up <laughs> so jump yeah up like i feel like your, that's what live your life exactly. yes exactly yeah so cool that's so cool yeah so do you do you do you actually still have all the masks like do you save them uh yeah um some of them are on display in like a couple different places like i, I know there uh there's a whole outfit that's on display at a hard rock somewhere i used to have a big case here in vegas um that had like at the time all four of my different outfits and some of the masks and shit but i have them stored right now uh, because I just, I don't have anywhere in my house to put them. Like I just, I have so much crap from Slipknot that I've started just giving them away to people as Christmas gifts. And just, like, <laughs> That's so funny. Take this. And they're like, uh, wasn't the, wasn't these the coveralls from the Iowa tour in 2001? I was like, yeah, get them the fuck out of my house. Like, <laughs> I don't want them anymore. Well, I don't want them. Yeah. It's like, I just can't, like, I have nowhere to put them. I have so much crap. Well, you could probably do a movie. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. I can be storage. <laughs> okay, what, about, what about the first, the first stinky hair mask? Where's that one? The first stinky hair mask sadly deteriorated to the point where I had to throw oh, it. Oh, 
no, it was, it was, it was too smelly. <laughs> it would, no, it melted. It fucking melted. It was the very first. It was a, it was a crash test dummies mask that was flipped inside out. And it was the mask that I wore all the way up until the very last show after OzFest 99. So it made it all the way through OzFest 99. And then we did a home show, uh, this big radio festival in Des Moines. It's actually the festival uh, where we recorded the live video for Wait and Bleed. So it's that big outdoor oh, show, the sun's yeah, out, yeah. we're in the blue coveralls. That's mm-hmm. the video that we shot for Wait and Bleed. That was the last show that I wore that mask because oh. it was melting so bad that what you can't tell is there's actually duct tape on the inside of it. So I don't have melting plastic like laying on my face. I oh, took wow. it off. I took the dreads. I put that mask on a mannequin head and it slowly but surely just started to melt to the mannequin head and it just deteriorated. Yeah. yeah. So I went out and uh, bought uh, a scarecrow mask that then that's the mask that I used for the rest of the very first uh, Slipknot tour cycle was a scarecrow mask. And I just put this, I just stuck the dreads in that. And that I still have. And it smells like fucking death. And I will not allow <laughs> anyone to come near it because it would put probably, it in a box. It would probably cause a whole other fucking vein of or strain of COVID if anybody yeah. got that goddamn. Or like a nuclear <laughs> meltdown, Chernobyl too. Very much so. <laughs> just, everything would just start falling <laughs> going in into the ground. <laughs> oh my god, that takes me back. The when you brought up wait and bleed, it's like it, it's awakening memories of like me in high school watching anime music videos. Right. Like yeah, it was like the soundtrack mixed over with Dragon Ball Z clips, and it's <laughs> like that's like. But that's the thing is that like that era of like cringe that you have when you're in high school, like right. is, some people are like so embarrassed by that, but it's like, that is the start of creativity. You know, you make shit that's like cringe when you're a teenager so that you can tap into something. And like, and I always hate when people like shit on someone that writes bad fan fictions or creepy pastas or whatever. Right. And you, right. Cause it's like, they you know, the person's learning how to, to be creative and that's so everybody's gotta start somewhere man exactly you don't just you don't just start being amazing you don't just start being you know poignant and incredibly creative you have to write some garbage you should see some of the shit that i wrote when i was younger it is (laughs) fucking brutal it's so bad like and there's a reason nobody will ever fucking see it (laughs) Yeah. yeah you gotta start somewhere man Oh yeah. god, my, my high school poetry is so fucking bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's uh yeah, so like does it do you like ever like walk into like a spirit Halloween and like judge the masks? No, not at all. I mean, because there's 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 quality and then there's affordability, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we have a line of our masks that are in some of these spirit of Halloween stores. Like you mm-hmm. can go in and find our masks and they're shit, by the way. But Craig's at the same time, actually. it's like you don't. I mean, the people who are really into it will find a way to get something that's a little more stage ready. You know right. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You're not gonna like a real collector is not gonna walk into Spirit of Halloween and be like, "Oh, I've been looking all over for this one. It's a Mick mask from blah 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 blah." They're not gonna do that shit. They're they're gonna go online and find somebody who's making masks in Portugal and uh, they're going to order like 27 of them and have them fucking sent over to the States, you know? Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. I just imagine like you walking through like a Halloween store, like in your like slippers and like 
you know, like a like a like civvy clothes, you know, your your regular going out clothes. Right. And I was like wondering if anyone ever recognizes you, like going like masked. Every once in a while, it'll, it'll get weird, but for the most it'll part, get weird. I I'm not. I try to be. I try to kind of blend, man. You know, like I especially wearing masks and shit. This is one of my favorite things about mask mandates is that nobody can fucking tell it's me unless yeah. they really see the tattoos. You know. But but I I don't go out of my way to, to call attention to myself, to be honest. I, I like tucking in. I like when I'm out and about, if I'm shopping or if I'm at dinner or if I'm kind of doing whatever, I'm off the clock in my head. So I'm like, I'm just being, a, yeah, if I'm with my kids and shit, I don't take pictures and whatnot. If I'm with my wife on a date night, I don't take pictures and shit. If I'm if out, out by myself and whatnot and somebody comes up all day long because why not? You know, it's all good. But if I'm in dad mode or husband mode or mm -hmm. whatever, yeah. it's, you know, and I don't care if people get upset by that because yeah. at some point you have to draw a line and establish a boundary that is, it's important. And it's the people who don't do that, who will wipe themselves out for the longest yeah. time. I didn't have that. I made myself available to everyone. And it wiped me the fuck out. I didn't have anything mm -hmm. left for any of my friends or any of my life. So once you do that, I think you draw that line in the sand and it actually can can be very good for your mental health. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I was actually kind of curious, um, like, you know, how you, you, number ones, things like that, being like super fucking famous and shit. Like, right. <laughs> to put it in the words of a poet, super fucking famous and shit. Yeah, like, I was gonna say that was, that was very uh, eloquent. Very yeah. eloquent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like. How do you like stay human? You know, like how do you like stay? Uh, trust human? me, I have a bunch of friends who I've had for the last twenty years who bust my balls fucking mercilessly. Okay, and it's uh, it's kind of beautiful. Um, but I've also my struggles with my ego kind of stopped when I got sober. To be honest, I mean to kind of tie it back there because. You know, you have to embrace the fact that, A, you have an ego. Uh, and then once you do that, you can allow yourself to enjoy the things that you do and feel confident about the things that you contribute. But at the same time, that doesn't mean you're more important than anybody else, you know? Mm -hmm. and to me, it's more important to be respectful than it is to be, you know, an overblown egomaniac. And at this point in my life, I don't care. I don't need to be coddled. I like the fact that I don't need to be, you know, walked around by the hand at, you know, like some of these other quote unquote superstars who can't fucking just live their life. They have to have assistance to help them do anything. Mm -hmm. Whereas I shop for myself. I work for myself. I clean my own fucking house. Like I, your own butt. absolutely. I wipe my own ass. I kiss my own ass, but I also wipe it. Um, <laughs> It's, it's important. Once you have squandered that last bit of self-motivation, self-confidence, self-efficiency, you will, they will coddle you and they will push you into a corner and make you feel completely marginalized. And that's when ego gets out of control because now you just expect people to do shit. Now you just expect that people are going to handle shit for you. It, whereas if you just lead your life where I'll handle it, I've got my life. I know all my info. I know everything I need. I don't need other people to fucking do it for me. 
So when people do help me, I go, Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. You know, it's about hubris and realizing the benefit of hubris. So when you see like other friends, creatives, whatever people that you like going down that path of kind of self-destruction, do you have the sense of, okay, I got to let them do them and then find their route. Or do you wish that you could help? I give them one warning. And then after that, it's on them because it's, it's, and it's true. And it's, and I'm not preachy. I know a lot of people think I'm preachy, but I'm not like, I try to be, I'm just trying to be helpful, you know? So I'll hit people up and I'll be like, Hey, you know, like it's, I'm seeing a bad trend here for you. You need to kind of rein it in or whatever. Um, and they either take it or they don't, you know? Um, but at the same time, when they don't, that's usually the better lesson because you kind of have to live it to really realize yeah. the reality of it. And I mean, I did all of my friends who are on the same kind of level have, and once you've been through the, the meat grinder, man, then they put you back together. You just realize you're just hamburger like everybody else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's the thing too, is that like, for me, it's easier to realize that I have these struggles that I have to go through than it is for me to watch people that I love do it. You know right, what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah. And, but there's a certain like peace that comes from acceptance that like, you know, that other people have to go through their shit to get to where they need to go. And like, just try to, to see, to see that, that end and hope that they get there, but having to let them do it is like right. a struggle, but it's also like a beautiful kind of thing when you watch it happen, you know? Right. I, <laughs> It's hard. Really got, no, it's okay. I've, I've gotten to the point in my life that if their bullshit affects my life, then that's when I go, you know what? I'm stepping away from this. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's the thing that triggers a realization of, oh, fuck, I'm too far off the ranch to, you know, I need to figure this out. Sometimes it doesn't. And, and at that point, you have to count yourself lucky that that craziness is not in your life. You know, mm-hmm. if that person doesn't come back and has, has figured it out, then it wasn't meant to be in the first place. Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. and this is, this is really cool. Cause it leads us into our next question. I'm just kidding. We don't have, I don't think we have any more questions. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, I think we're at, I was, we're like, all, we're at the class, I was like, man, this is really going on a long time. I love it. <laughs> no, we're, we're about, we're about, you know, wrapped up with the the stuff that yeah. uh, we've got. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like we could have probably blown through these in like 20 minutes. It's just been really awesome talking, you know? No, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I can talk good shit all day. So I, I love <laughs> that radio voice can keep talking. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, Abby, what, what else you got? I don't have it. I don't have anything. I was just making a, a funny. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I was just kidding. I, would, I, I, I had there was a joke about how I was going to start the interview, uh, which I didn't oh, do because I didn't Mr. know how cool Slips. you were yet. Which I was going to start and say I have a migraine. And then you'd be like, God, you're rubbing your eyes a lot. And I was going to be like, yeah, it's the only thing that stops the ache. I knew where you were going. Oh, other people have made that joke. I told told you. I still loved it. I still, you're going to get the dad clap now. (laughs) I have made that joke a lot when I was younger about, uh, you know, like when people are like, I got a really bad headache. I was like, have you tried putting your fingers in your eyes? And they're like, ah, I was like, because I heard that helps. And like it takes them a minute, and then they're like, "Oh, fuck you!" And I'm like, yeah. 
Oh, well, it, it, it's it's better than what he was originally going to do. He was going to come in here and be like, so like, how was writing Freak on a Leash? Or, and are you like down with the sickness? Like, just just be a total like ass about it. <laughs> he was going to call you Mr. Slips. Professor Slips. <laughs> was, was, was going to say. Slips. <laughs> uh, do you like know Mr. Mr. Knot? Mr. Knot, is that is that correct? Yeah, is, is Mrs. Knot around? Can Mrs. we uh, get her in the room? We'd like to pick her brain a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the story I wasn't going to bring up before is I interviewed Meatloaf for a show that he was on. Gotcha. And he goes by Meat, which yeah. is a really weird thing to realize because, like, his name isn't Meatloaf, it's Meat Loaf. And when right. you say Meatloaf, he says to you, and I'm not shitting you, no, no, Mr. Loaf was my dad. And he says it with that sincerity that you're like, it takes you a second to realize, wait a second, no, it wasn't. <laughs> are you fucking with me like, yeah what <laughs> funniest fucking guy to interview super nice too i don't know if you've ever met meatloaf oh i i know him very well yeah he's a he's a rad dude because i'm friends with his uh daughters oh know, yeah. Him, rad, yeah he's a super nice guy yeah, i was expecting super- him to be like kind of rock star heavy head but he's like no nah, i'm just happy to be here man he said yeah. i love it when people remember to call old meat and i'm like you're a gem meatloaf <laughs> Don't go changing. Don't go changing. Yeah. Don't go changing. Great interview. I just didn't want to bring that up earlier because I didn't want to like get on a tangent about meatloaf. But anyways, I think we're done here. Um, yeah. So I mean, I'll let you go. It's been a long time. I know you you uh, politely alluded to that we've run over. So I'll uh, I'll go ahead and let you go. Um, you know, I'll just do my wrap up here real quick, which is everyone. You know, if you haven't had a chance to see it, Band Candy is in theaters right now. It's got a limited release. It'll be on VOD platforms. I think next week uh, we'll edit in a clip of me saying the correct date with my mouth definitely fitting it so that everyone knows exactly <laughs> what's coming out. But, you know, it's a lot of fun. If you get a chance, you know, definitely check it out. And um, is there any other projects you'd like to talk about or to direct people towards at the end of this interview? Uh, not that I could think of. Uh, other than everything that we talked about, um, we'll have a new Slipknot album out next year. Um, we will be on the road um for the next couple months um other than that i mean that's that's about it for right now um but once i get uh once i get a, a better idea of what's happening with the uh, zvn or zombie versus ninja I'll, we'll come back and we'll talk about it yeah i mean i'm always yes. down to talk horror i mean especially when it's just someone that like likes nerding out about, about that kind of shit i would love to right. fucking talk more about you know old 80s slasher films and shit like that that's always fun for me um, so anytime you ever want to chat, man, let us know. And, um, you know, for everyone at home, once again, check out Bad Candy. You know, uh, I'm I'm Ted. Abby, you want to say a bu- goodbye? You want to pitch anything real quick? I'm Abby, also known as Scruncho. Most of you know me as Scruncho. But yeah, it's it's been really great talking to you, Corey. Seriously, Mr. Dickhead. Um, it, it's It's been an honor, seriously. Oh, come uh, on. Seriously. Good. I appreciate it. I've had a blast. So yeah. we'll definitely do it again. Yeah, well, have a great rest of your day, man. And, uh, you know, we'll see you later. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, cool. Thank you. Bye. Bye, guys.